Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to the 26th episode of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional land, gathering place, and traveling route of the Cree, Anishinaabe, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I have been living without shoes since 2010. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. In this episode, I interview filmmaker Patrick Cutler. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts. Novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I will give you updates on what I am working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. Let's get started. First up, novels. My short story, Under the Light of the Full Moon, Matthew's Secret, is available as a free ebook on Amazon through March 5th. Please help me out by downloading it and leaving a review after you have read it. In novel news, Hillary Rodham Clinton is teaming up with Canadian novelist Louise Penny to write a mystery novel. The book, State of Terror, is about a Secretary of State trying to solve a wave of terrorist attacks. It will come out on October 12th. Marika Lucas Reinveld, the Dutch author who last year became the youngest writer to ever win the International Booker Prize with her novel The Discomfort of Evening, has declined the assignment to translate Amanda Gorman's poem The Hill We Climb into Dutch after facing criticism. Publisher Mühlenhoff requested Reinveld translate the poem Gorman wrote for Joe Biden's inauguration, and it was initially scheduled to be released at the end of March. Gorman fully supported Mühlenhoff's original selection of Reinveld, and now they are looking for a translator who is black like the original author. I think it's wonderful that people are aware of whitewashing black voices, and I hope they will be able to find someone suitable for the translation. Now on to comics. Today's comic is a Patreon exclusive of Petunia learning Dutch with a phone app. My son and I have been learning Dutch in case COVID ever ends and we get to go to Europe. I speak passable Spanish and my son's already learning French at school, so this is something we're learning together and it's been really fun. You can see today's comic by becoming a patron for just $1 a month at patreon.com slash possumpete. And now for today's interview with Patrick Cutler. Hi, Patrick. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Please tell the listeners a little about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am from Montana, born and raised here in Western Montana, the real Montana with the uh, mountains and everything else. I'm a filmmaker. Quite honestly, um, I've been a filmmaker since birth, pretty much. It's what I'm passionate about. It's what I love to do, regardless of the hardships of, of trying to make money off of being a filmmaker. Very difficult, but I am very much a filmmaker. And uh, I've done uh, four full-length feature films in my fifth full-length feature film here today is called Redgate, and I am uh, actively trying to promote it and get it out to the masses, and uh, hopefully that anybody wants to see a different type of horror film, this is the one for you to see. So you've just finished your fifth film, Redgate. Can you tell us a bit about your first four before we start talking about Redgate? 
Yes, absolutely. Me and my brother, a long time ago, we were kids. Uh, we were doing uh, VHS type uh, video productions in our backyard and just doing short skits, stuff like that. And we were doing uh, theater plays and whatnot. And so what happened was my brother, Kelly, he went off to more of the theater route and I went off to more of the uh, filmmaking route. Essentially, as we kind of met in the middle, we started doing all these productions. And what we did was we did mostly comedy shows back in the day. Theater for us back in the day was comedy. That was what we did. That was our thing. And so we did a bunch of comedic productions. So on the filmmaking end, for the first full-length feature films I've done, they're all comedy films. So the first one we did was uh, called Going Nowhere. It was a comedy film about uh, a bunch of losers kind of like living in their parents' house, drinking beer and playing with football every day. Went to a a dramatic scene there towards the end with getting girlfriends and moving on and progressing through life. So that first film was called Going Nowhere. The second film was uh, called Mad Dad. It was kind of a a, a dark comedy about an abusive father um, that was crazy and it was a lot of comedic stuff in there uh, a film that I don't know if everybody actually got what it was about when they watched it it was like, kind of like a, a dark humor type comedy the third film was called The Cottonwood Sea Project it was about four kind of uh, filmmakers or guys hanging out in California and their whole plan was to go down to a, a western town in Montana and just kind of spoof it and make fun of the entire town like a mockumentary and uh, Cottonwood Sea Project that was a lot of fun um, it made it to the LA Comedy Festival in Los Angeles, one of the biggest comedy festivals in the uh, entire country. And it was a lot of fun going down there and promoting that film. And then the fourth film was uh, The Adventures of Pete and Kit. So this film was really interesting. So we would go on trips from Mon- uh, Western Montana to Northern Idaho. And me and my brothers, we would sit there and write these scripts uh, in the back of the car and just comical scripts about our, our relatives, our uncles, our aunts, just making fun of them, just ridiculous stuff. So eventually, what happened, we took that concept and turned into a full-length feature film it's like a hundred random skits making fun of our relatives in one film like a hundred back to back to back to back random skits and there's a there's overall sequence to it or whatever but it, very very funny original comedy and then we bring it up to uh the horror film right which we're talking about today excellent so you did really depart from that comedy and go to horror so what was your creative process like for Redgate? um it was a very very interesting creative process so first i would like to say that like if coronavirus never hit give my deepest sympathies out to everybody that's suffered from coronavirus i was in the process of coming down from alaska and moving down to montana and i was in the middle of a divorce and all these different things i had no um mindset at all at the time about filming a horror film um a couple years ago though what i did was i i started writing a script for a horror film which is what me and my brother Kelly always wanted to do so i'd written this script like years ago and and then everything hit and we're like okay well i can't do what i want to do so let's go and make a horror film and so the horror film Redgate. It was kind of like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre style film that was about true stories in this little western town that we grew up in, in uh, Montana. So the background of, of Redgate is about a bunch of true stories, a little bit of folklore there. We were growing up as kids. So um, the background story of the actual Redgate story, the tale as we were kids, was imagine being above this western town in Montana and up in these mountains, there used to be this village or a community called Emory. And they had schools and they had a schoolhouse and everything else. It's a bunch of cabins now, broken down cabins now but back then there was a story about this guy who was working up there in the mine and he came home that day he came home to his his farmhouse and everything he lost his mind for whatever reason he ended up killing his wife and his two kids and then he took their blood and painted his farm gate red with their blood so that's a little bit of a backstory on red gate that is super creepy (laughs) (laughs) so you say it's not like other horror films what makes it different from other horror 
movies. I grew up as a Jason Voorhees fan watching Friday the 13th when my parents weren't watching or whatever. And I loved the Jason movies. I, I loved them. But as you advance on anything in life, you kind of get up to the next level, next level. Then when I got older or whatever, I started watching horror films that were very more like a, a, a psychological type thrill type thing. So when I, when I started putting together Redgate, I wanted to have my own little twist on it. So the twist on Redgate is that it's almost like you're watching a film like you're in the film like it's shot in a very very uh artistic way i got a lot of influence from a, a film by gus van sant called elephant where he went back through the columbine shooting and he made it look like it, you're right there in the actual film a lot of inspiration from that and the texas chainsaw massacre where it makes it feel like you're actually in the film and the craziest thing about this film is like we're way up in these remote mountains these remote lakes in montana and this big wide angle cinematic shot of of everything and, and it's smoky and and so we get these forest fires going on at the same time and god bless us god bless everybody but we're filming in september and there's forest fires in montana washington california and it fills the sky with with smoke in such a perfect setting to shooting because you get this sun that's uh so red it takes out the shadows and everything else the film itself though i had actors i wrote most of the script but i had actors where it's like i gave them certain lines at the beginning and then every single night we get together around the campfire and i'll say okay they have no idea what's coming next it's like here's tomorrow's script ad-lib it play with it a lot of the lines in Redgate are not scripted it's completely ad-libbed I want that real real natural acting if you know what I mean very interesting so what was the experience of creating Redgate like for you with that natural acting and all of that forest fires going on it was really really crazy because I mean um, forest it made it very smoky okay, of course the higher you go the more smoke you have so it's like a, it's harder is to breathe and everything else also with the actors and actresses they were theater actresses and actresses or actors. So, I mean, they were used to doing more theater stuff. When we got up there, it's like in theater, you have that uh, luxury of having just a stage, a warm theater. You have all these things that are just very nice, very easy to deal with. Where when you're doing films and stuff, you're out in the open, there's wind, there's there's snow, there's rain, all these different things. It was a big challenge to kind of get those actors and actresses when we got up there to really kind of relax and go, and go through the parts. There was one day we were up there and it was very windy again high elevation a lake in the middle of nowhere it was very very windy and we had a water scene so we had this big water scene the wind is coming down and, and they were up all night with the wind their tent everything else they didn't want to go out and do the scene in the water and i was just like oh my gosh i don't know what to do so we just relaxed you know took it calm and just went back and forth and eventually me and my brother went up to him and was like okay we don't have to do that almost like a little bit of like a reverse psychology and then i don't know we're like no we'll, we'll do it we'll do it we just need our coats on and stuff so we got them to eventually do that lake scene that is one of the biggest challenges up there is like the conditions are so unknown. You don't know what's going to happen. You just hope and pray that everybody's going to come through and, and do their part and, and everything else. Why theater actors as opposed to like film actors? So uh, the background of Color Brothers Productions is, is, is kind of like it's more theater than it's film. So my brother Kelly, he was the theater guy and you can always do theater no matter what. And we had a lot of people that were involved in theater. And it was kind of a lot of ways. It was kind of like a last second thing where it's like, man, I can't work. Things are going weird because of COVID-19 and everything else. And like we had this gap and it's like, man, I want to do a film. You want to do a film. We've always wanted to do a horror film. Let's go out there and do this. I, I had the script with me and everything else. So it was very easy to train. Uh, we've done this for all, throughout all our films. Is we train these actors on stage and in theater and stuff and build up these big connections, with all these different people and have a big list of actors and stuff. And then it's like, we picked them out and say, hey, do you want to do a film? You, you want to do a film? So I was doing um on stage, I was doing uh, Romeo and Juliet during the summer. And I had a connection with a bunch of people that were living out in New York and they had to come back to Montana and do the COVID-19. And I was like, 
okay do you guys have nothing going on in september do you want to do a horror film so it was like okay yeah sure let's let's do a horror film so and, and a long sense there we we work with a lot of actors on stage in theater and stuff and it's it's very easy to kind of transition them to uh film for sure that makes sense so you've now made your fifth film what motivates you to keep making films um i mean honestly it's when it comes to filmmaking with anybody especially independent filmmaking it's like you either love to do it or not because i mean there's there's no there's no guarantee you're ever going to make any money or anything off of it you're really just doing it because you love it because i mean otherwise it's like you know you work very very hard hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands of hours on a film and then you come out and you don't ever know it's going to get distributed or it's going to hit any audience or even see it or not so I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like you either feel it like you're. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm passionate about. You know, and, and for someone like me, I, I went to Alaska. I got married. I did all these different things where, like, I tried to avoid doing it because it's so it's so difficult because it's like you're just working so hard and knowing that the results are kind of unknown or they may may be no results at all. At the end of the day, you just do it because you just love to do it. That. <laughs> that's honestly all it is to it for me. And what is your ultimate goal as a filmmaker? Um, I wanted to be, I want to be like a, a Stanley Kubrick type filmmaker where I deliver films that are so different, so bizarre that I really leave my mark on the film industry where it's like, that's a Patrick Cutler film. You know, we watched the Patrick Cutler film this weekend. It was bizarre. It made no sense. It was crazy. It brought some new ideas and made you think about this world and, and, and reality and everything else. Um, that's kind of what I want. I wanted to really be known as one of the most unique filmmakers. But I mean, look at Stanley Kubrick and everything that he did. And that's that's really a, a person that I would like to model myself off after. It's like, okay, this film doesn't make total sense. It's not your typical big Hollywood budget film. It's not your typical big scare, creepy horror film. It's a completely different film you've never seen before. And that's that's kind of what I, I would like to be and aspire to be. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to see what you do in the future. What advice do you have for someone who wants to get into filmmaking? So my biggest advice is like, and looking back on my entire life so far, is like, you know, your life at the end of the day is, is what you think about, your thoughts, your reality, what you set your goals at. So, I mean, if someone really wants to get into filmmaking, um, I, I took this from a, a quote from one of my favorite books is Robert Rodriguez, uh, River Without a Crew, filmmaker of El Mariachi, one of the best independent films ever made with no budget. He basically said, you know, if you really want to do filmmaking or acting or anything else, just dedicate yourself every single day to it. Like, it's like playing the guitar, you know, especially today, because today you don't need a big film camera. You don't need all the stuff. You just have your, your phone or whatever, but dedicate every single day to doing something with film, anything, editing, um, Filming stuff, you know, where I'm at right now with editing and filmmaking and everything else, I'm, I'm definitely at the top of my game at this point, but it took a long time to get there. It took a lot of technology changes to happen to make it happen because I mean, when I first started out, I had to buy like a four thousand dollar camera. It was the first digital filmmaking camera that had twenty four frames per second. You guys don't don't know the technical stuff. Twenty four frames per second is the film standard for uh, sixteen millimeter or thirty five millimeter film. Found the one camera at that time that shot that way for four thousand dollars. Now you get you get the latest iPhone. It shoots 24 frames per second. You put a, a, a lens on it and everything else, ready to go. But I mean, biggest thing I would say is like, first of all, practice every single 
practice your craft every single day in some way or think about it every single day in some way. The other thing I would say is my biggest mistake as a filmmaker growing up was my entire goal was just to make a full feature film. I did that four times over, but you have to set goals that are bigger than it. Like, hey, do you want a film to go somewhere? Do you want to make a film that made $5 million? Do you want to make a film you know, that went here or there? Set a goal or a target that you're going for. Because if you have no target, if you just want to make a film, you just want to make a movie, you just want to make a play or whatever, life's going to give you what you ask for. And that's going to give you what you can ask for. So, I mean, my, my biggest opinion is like set a very specific target for what you really, really want to do. And once you set that target, just go for it. Great advice for sure. Where can people find your films? So um, the biggest thing I'll tell people is like um, right now with Redgate, hashtag Redgate film. Again, hashtag Redgate film. Or you can follow it at Redgate film on Twitter. I'm a big Twitter guy. I like Twitter. I love Twitter. It's it's great for spreading messages and everything else. You can follow, find me at, at Patrick W. Cutler on Twitter. Um, and those are the main kind of resources. But um, also I would say... If you really want to watch some of the films I've done in the past, if you go on YouTube, search Cutler Brothers Productions, and you'll find a bunch of stuff we've done in the past. Uh, you can go to Cutler Brothers Productions YouTube page and search uh, The Adventures of Pete and Kit, um, a few full-length feature films we've done, The Cottonwood Seed Project, and you can watch those for free on the YouTube, Cutler Brothers Productions YouTube page. For this Red Kid, I'm trying to market as much as I possibly can during the process, so hopefully we get a distribution deal by the summer. So. Redgate, the film, I'm hoping it will be done in the next month and a half. So probably um, middle of April. And then I'm hoping to get a distribution deal by the summer. And hopefully we can release it in the fall. My ultimate goal is to release in October during the biggest horror, you know, marathon of every single year. October uh, 2021 is is when I'm hoping to uh, debut and premiere it. Super. Well, it sounds so creepy and fun and I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. All right. Next up is journalism. I've been full steam ahead at my magazine job and I'm absolutely loving it. We're planning a May launch for the first issue as long as everything goes according to plan. And now for today's current events. Distance runner and physical therapist Sergio Florian has completed a 135-mile run around the perimeter of Oahu Island. His original goal was to complete the run in 24 hours, but it ended up taking around 30 hours to complete. He live-streamed the completion of his run on his Facebook page. Florian says he did the run in honor of his physical therapy patients with neurological and spinal cord injuries, for whom even the smallest movements take the greatest efforts. After Harvard University epidemiologist Dr. Eric Feigel-Ding called British Columbia the Florida of Canada because of their current standing of highest COVID transmission in Canada, BC residents took to Twitter to argue their case. Twitter user at RWLens pointed out that Florida has four times the population of British Columbia, but 22 times the deaths. Others were quick to name other provinces that were worse for other reasons. My favorite reply to the tweet came from at SingHJ39, who dubbed Alberta the Texas of Canada, BC the California of Canada, Quebec the Florida of Canada, and Ontario the New York of Canada. Regardless of who is actually the Florida of Canada, we all need to continue to take COVID seriously, wear masks, and stay home for anything non-essential until we have received both COVID shots. Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. I had a nice encounter with my building maintenance manager when he saw me taking out the trash barefoot while he was shoveling snow. 
It was minus 5 Celsius or 23 Fahrenheit today, so much warmer than it was a few weeks ago, but he still stared at me like I had three heads as I came out the back door of the building in bare feet to take my trash to the dumpster. He was like, aren't you cold? And I laughed, like it's warmer than it has been. Then I made a point to stamp my feet on the doormat before going inside so I wouldn't track snow back into the building. He laughed, and now I'm pretty sure he thinks I'm either slightly mentally unstable or immune to the cold. That's all for today's show. I'll be back next week with an interview with the members of the band Artonite. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at sierrathebarefoot, on Facebook as sierrathebarefootgirl, on Twitter at sierrabarefoot, and on TikTok at sierraisbarefoot. You can follow the podcast itself on Instagram at Barefooting with Sierra. All of my books are available on Amazon. My comics are available on Instagram at World of Possums and Patreon.com slash PossumPete. Thank you to Legion X for the intro and outro music. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. And please share it with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.